you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I love that trailer. It's got a bit of interstellar vibe, doesn't it? (laughs) Those colours at the end. Um, This is my first time, obviously, getting to come and share with you here on a Sunday and being able to open God's Word. But uh, I don't know if you know, but indirectly, you have had a huge impact um, on us in Geelong. So way back in uh, 2013, when we were just beginning, um, I was a bit overwhelmed with all the things that goes into a new church plant. And uh, yeah, this this young whippersnapper called Nick Coombs, who was working on staff, uh, guy said, oh, you might be able to help out. And I was like, oh, yeah, will he be any good? And uh, he came down. And uh, he organised our vision night. He, uh, he helped um, oh, all sorts of different ways. And I was like, yeah, we'll take anything that we can get uh, from this kind of whippersnapper, Nick Coombs. And, um, and then later on, you, you're probably also not aware that we had the um, opportunity to go into a, an existing Anglican church, an old, older building. It needed a lot of work. And uh, I once again was overwhelmed by all the details of it. We're putting new church still, not, not large in number. And, uh, and then at this stage, and I knew this person, so it was a bit different, but uh, Guy sent down the wonderful Neil Castle, who uh, in addition to everything else he does, is an extraordinary good tradie. And so uh, we had, um, he, he project managed that whole thing. So um, in Geelong, we often, and I'm sure you've, you've heard this before, but you know, you're Hashtag Melbourne East, you know, we always call it Melbourne Beast. Um, have you heard that? Yeah, I know. Old news, but uh, something about the church here has really got that beastie kind of feel. So I'm glad to be here with you. I'd love you to pray with me as we look at this word. At, um, yeah, I'm a bit intimidated that Lisa's been studying it for so long myself. Like she's freaked me out. But it's, there's a lot of depth here. This is some of the richest passages in all the scripture. And so we need, we need God the Holy Spirit to be working if these next moments we have together as we open God's Word are going to be what He wants them to be for us. So would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning and we humble our hearts. We pray, Lord, that as we will not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So we pray, Lord, that we would have open mouths this morning, that what comes from your mouth would come to us and by the power of your Holy Spirit would transform us. Show us, Jesus. Make us more in his likeness. And we pray for these things together, confident and boldly, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, just 10 years before, 
there was a tradie, not Neil Castle, but another tradie who was hanging in, on a cross in a backwater province of the Roman Empire. Just 30 years before, he was hanging there. He was being crucified because he was making a claim, which was hardly new, that he was the Jewish Messiah. But after his execution, his followers claimed that he was alive again, and the word um, spread throughout the vast Roman Empire. And about 10 years after that event, a small church, a small group of, of Christians came to be established in the town of Colossae. Colossae is in uh, what is today modern Turkey. Uh, and, and at that period, the Apostle Paul, another, another follower of Jesus, pens a letter to this new church. He's never been to that church, as far as we can tell. It's been planted by a friend of his, an associate called Epaphras. And he, he's writing to this church. And what he says in this letter is staggering. It is jaw-dropping. If it's false, it's the most laughable, nonsensical rubbish in the history of the planet. If it's true, it changes everything in a micro level for your life and my life, in a macro level in the world in which we live, and in a cosmic level. If this is true, what he's going to say, which is focusing on this man who was hanging on a cross, this tradie 30 years before, if what he says about this man is true, everything, everything changes. And uh, as we come to this letter, and before we, we look at this section in particular, we need to ask, why was it written? Why did the Apostle Paul take up pen by the guidance of the Holy Spirit to write this letter to this church in Colossae? And the answer is that we can't be 100% sure. Uh, there's different theories about exactly why Paul was writing from, from the content of the letter of Colossians itself. But what seems likely is that the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, Colossae, and he could sum it up by something that we're familiar with. They had a desire for an upgrade. Uh, anyone experience that desire for an upgrade? I do. I actually left my phone there. I, I've got a, uh, uh, an iPhone 11 Pro, which I got on Gumtree in 2020, and I was so excited when I got that phone. I was so excited because uh, I'd had an old 8, and that was, that was a good phone. That was a good phone. But the 11, oh boy, so much better. S screen so much brighter, can do so many things. And look, that phone still works well right now. In fact, I hope I put it on silent. I think I have. Um, it still works. It still does everything I want, but it's just not the same anymore. You know why? It doesn't have a dynamic island. Some of you know what a dynamic island is. I didn't until last week, and my techno 14-year-old explained to me what it is. And how could I have existed without a dynamic island? How could I have done it? And not only that, a PA16 bionic quad-pixel sensor with a photonic engine. Photonic engine. Like, what, what kind of... Mine doesn't have a photonic engine. Like, it's a good phone, does it? And, and it's got this crash protection thing. Which I thought maybe, you know, my 14-year-old explained to me, I thought maybe the iPhone 14 functions as an airbag if I'm in a... It doesn't, but it apparently tells people that I had a... It's amazing. Like, yeah, the 11 Pro, the 14, like, 
It's no comparison. We want an upgrade. And why wouldn't we want an upgrade? We're not rejecting the platform. We're not going to Samsung or anything, but, but just it's a better, better version of the same. And it seems perhaps that this is what's happening in Colossae because when Paul is writing to this letter to these, these new Christians, he's, it, there's no suggestion that they're walking away from their faith. No, there's no suggestion that they're deconstructing, that they don't believe what they used to believe, that somehow or other they're tempted to just walk away and, and experience another religion or no religion. That's not in the focus at all. It seems rather that they were tempted to add something on to what they already had and make it a bit better, an upgrade. And uh, in the Christian life, you, you might be aware, there's, there's a number of different upgrades that we can opt for. Uh, one of the op- upgrades which you might have encountered if you've been a Christian for a while, you've been around the church, is the baptism of the Spirit upgrade. Have you heard that one? Like the, the, um, the, you, you just, you, you're a Christian, that's fine, and you've got Jesus, that's fine, and you say, but, but you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You, you, need, you need that power to come from on high, and then you'll speak in tongues is the most common one. Uh, another op- op- um, upgrade is the spiritual disciplines upgrade. Heard of that one? Yeah, you need, you need fasting, you need prayer, you need silence, solitude, all these things. And then if you've got these things and you add them to Jesus, then you'll be upgraded as a Christian. Or, or more recently, well, it's actually not a recent phenomenon, it just feels like it's been recent the last couple of years, is the special knowledge upgrade. Have you heard of that one? The special knowledge is that you have an understanding of what is really going on in the world that most Christians don't, but you have seen the light. You, you, you've been open to what's really happening. And if only Christians could have their eyes open, they'd get an upgrade. You, you're not rejecting Jesus. None of these things are rejecting Jesus. It's just like there's other things that you can upgrade to, which are going to make you even better. Sometimes they're good things. And I'll be very clear. I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is a good thing, right? That's a good gift. I think the spiritual disciplines are an excellent gift. Less sure about the special knowledge thing. I don't think that's particularly helpful. But whether it's, it's positive or it's negative, the, the emphasis can become, yeah, what you had at first, that's really good. But it's like the iPhone 8 versus the iPhone 14. You can do a lot better. You can upgrade. So I know this personally because I shared with you before I became a Christian when I was 17 and it was the most extraordinary experience. Happened to me in the east of all places. You you consider Belgrave Heights the east, don't you? Yeah. It happened to me in the east. So I've come home, spiritual home. Like I, I was at Belgrave at the convention. I was 17 years old and God extraordinarily converted me. It was the most amazing. I didn't expect it to happen at the east convention up there. It did. And, um, and my life was radically different from that point. I just had an insatiable appetite for Jesus. That's you know, like, it's, you know, it's funny, you know, you, we joke about the red letters in the Bible. Have you seen those where, you know, the letters that are Jesus only? I'm not sure if that's helpful or not, but for me, my Bible had red letters and I was like, oh, I want to just read every red letter and I want to read everything about the red letters that, and I want to, I just want to know it. And, and, and I just, I wanted to tell others about Jesus and I was, in, I was really infatuated with Jesus. It was the, I think it's a common experience. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're not, great that you're here and you're investigating, but if you're a Christian, you'll know that you're a Christian because you're Christian, you're a, a little Jesus and, and it's all about him and you can't and don't want anything else. But then, a few years later, I upgraded. And I upgraded into the, the very... Uh, sexy and attractive and fascinating upgrade of the eschatology upgrade. 
or the last things or end times upgrade, however you want to call it. And um, this is a tricky upgrade because it comes from the Bible, from segments of Scripture that are prophetic in nature, talking about what's going to happen. And the Bible makes very clear claims that God does make predictions about what's going to happen in the future. So does Jesus. And I got really interested in this upgrade. It's like, man, like I can go into church and I have the Bible in one hand and in those days, the no phones, but I can have the newspaper in the other and I can just go from one to the other. This is incredible. Like, and the, the, there was teachers going around and, and I would go to, to different teachers and they'd, they'd explaining what was happening in the world in the Middle East and this was happening and ah, the Russians were going to do this. And I was like, this is so interesting. It's so, and I was like, yeah, I mean, Jesus is still interesting, but this is really interesting. And I upgraded and I don't know where it happened, but at some point along the line, I had added, I had upgraded. I hadn't abandoned what I believed about Jesus. That was still amazing but I'd added something to it. And I suspect that this is one of the things that's going on in Colossae. This new church is not abandoning their faith, but they're, they're tempting to add other things into it that actually may be probably good things, but as they add these good things, they start to lose focus. They start to lose their, their centrality or the basis which their faith is centred on Jesus. And that's why I think Colossians 1.15 and these verses that we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks, I think that's why Paul is saying, you need to understand what your original iPhone did. Before you think about upgrades, this is no iPhone we're talking about. And when Paul speaks about who this Jesus is in these verses, it is, it is jaw-dropping. It is amazing. Now, some people think that he has incorporated in these verses an old hymn. From, from the Christian church. You know, a, a song like one of we sung, they go, that's the theology, that's amazing, and Paul's quoting it back to them. Other people think it's fresh from the Holy Spirit and that he's composed. They've got a bit of a poetic feel to them, these lines, but it doesn't really matter, I think. What matters is what they claim, and the claims are extraordinary. And, and this morning, I look at two of them with you. That's all there is in verse 15, two, two major claims. Let's look at the first. He is the image, verse 15, of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. Th think about this for a moment. People still remembered. Some people knew the traitor who hung on the cross 30 years before, right? It was pretty recent. And Paul says, that traitor is the image of the invisible God. God, what, what is God like? Um, there's a story of a little boy in church during the sermon, a bit bored as you are when you're a little boy in church during the sermon, and he's drawing a picture and his mum leans over and goes like, what are you drawing, honey? He says, oh, I'm drawing a, a picture of God. And mum says, uh, <laughs> you can't draw a picture of God. No one knows what he's like. And the boy says, well, they will when I'm done. And you maybe heard that, but mum's right, isn't she? You can't draw a picture of the invisible God because by nature of definition, God is invisible. Um, but does it matter if we know what God is like anyway, does it? Does it matter if we know what God is like? We can't know physically what God is like. But you might say, well, actually, we already do know what God is like because even before the New Testament, the Old Testament tells us so much about God. That's the first 
books of your, of your Bible, and the Old Testament does reveal a lot about God. It, it's precious treasure, really. Uh, the New Testament speaks about it as treasures old and new. The Old Testament is a treasure house about God. It is why, as a church, we preach on the Old Testament, we believe it, because you will find things in the Old Testament about God which you will not find in the same way always in the New Testament. There are treasures here that you can only get in the Old Testament. But it's not the same thing as seeing God, is it? Not the same thing as experiencing God in the same way. Uh, an illustration might help. So I mentioned before that I, uh, I married... Uh, Dana, 23 years ago, I met Dana in an unusual way, and I think I got a sl- we think we've got a slide here, which, you- yeah, <laughs> that is an article from the Age newspaper, and I met my wife Dana through that very same article. Um, she was 16 years old. Uh, she'd won a uh, won the national public speaking uh, award for that year. But she came from a tiny little town in Victoria's Mallee called Walpia, and um, so it hit the national press. And um, The Age did this article, and I was in Canberra uh, studying as an army officer, and I was, I was reading The Age of all papers, because I don't know why I was doing, not read it anymore, no, wait, go on. I was reading The Age at that moment, and, um, and I saw this article, and it, it, I don't know if you can see there down, it says, uh, uh, on, on Sundays, Danalee plays piano in the Oyen at the Assembly of God Church, and her brother Samuel plays the drum. And I was like, this girl's a Christian. And she's a public speaker, obviously. And I don't know if you can see from the photo, like, and by the way, I'm 20 years old. Otherwise, that would be really cre- creepy about uh, she's 16. But that was, that was okay back then. And um, <laughs> so I thought, like, okay, I'm going to write to this girl. And, but I don't know the address, but it can't be a very big town. It's Walpia, but it's tiny. So, so I wrote a letter from Canberra, um, address to the town, care of the town, to her. And, uh, and she got it. And, um, and I made a mistake. I put my rank on it because I was in the army world and, and, and um, officer cadet. And she had no idea what an officer cadet was. She thought it was some crusty old 60-year-old guy. And so um, she wrote back and said, dear sir, thank you for your nice letter. And, um, and that was the end of it, except in a breach, in a work of God's providence, I suppose, um, her father... And I went to the same school in Ballarat, which was weird. And so later that year, there was an article about me in the school alumni uh, magazine. And she saw that article and looked at the photo, which is actually of my friend, unfortunately, not me. And thought, like, this guy is not old. He's actually young. And so then she wrote another letter. And then we started writing um, every week for the next 12 months, or probably 15 or 16 months, actually. And um, that was an extraordinary period of time. Um, every, you know, if you write to someone every week, and, and I started to feel like, I really know this woman or this girl. You know, she's, she's like revealing a heart, you know, talking about her dreams and her aspirations, and I'm sharing the same thing. And, and, and somewhere along that line, it was probably always at the back of my mind anyway, actually, I was like, ooh, this could be going somewhere. You know, this is, I'm getting a bit of an attraction to this girl. You know, like, I think we've got a lot in common. And, but... But as it got serious, I was like, yeah, but we need to meet. Because what if she's got horrendous body odour? I can't tell that. I didn't think that. But, you know, I didn't think that. Don't tell her I thought that. I didn't think that. Uh, (laughs) i got to meet her because, like, maybe she's just really good at acting. 
You know, she does these, you know, great letters, but maybe she's completely different as a person. And, and there's too much at stake when I start thinking about that, like the marriage thing. There's too much at stake. Our lives are going to be joined together. We're stuck with one another for the rest of our lives. And it's not enough to just know about this person. I need to see her. And so eventually, um, in a, in a, I think both of our families were hyped up by this stage. Her family's Nissan Patrol pulled into our yard on, on our farm and out of the patrol stepped at last the woman in the flesh. Had a photo before that, knew a fair bit about her, but didn't really know her. And Paul says in this verse of Colossians, Jesus, if you like, steps out of the patrol and flesh and blood walks towards us. We've heard about God. Now we see the image of God. Flesh and blood. And maybe you think, well, the, even the, the, the use of the word image is, it suggests that in some way the image is less than the original. So Jesus is the image of God, is, is less than God. It's, you know, we know it's true of, um, you know, have you ever, this is an amazing lake in New Zealand, I don't know if you've seen it, where on a, on a right, just that right moment, you can look at the lake and the mountains with the snow behind them, and you can't tell which is which. On a still morning, the reflection is so perfect and so beautiful, but ultimately, the reflection is still not the reality, is it? I mean, the photo of someone is, is an accurate representation of someone, but it's still so much less than the person themselves. And photos can be accurate and deceptive, can't they? We know that because, I don't know about you, but I remember sometimes they're just the right angle, it's the right look, and I go like, man, like, I'm looking all right. That, Look at me. I'm and then the, the next photo comes up and I'm like, oh, I'm not that overweight, am I? How did that happen? You know, and, and sometimes it can be a true representation, but it's not the original. E even if it is an accurate representation, a, a, a digital image or a piece of paper is just not the same. And we can think that when Paul says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that somehow it means he's lesser. He's like a reflection. So you get an idea about Jesus, about God, by looking at Jesus. But, it, but it's somehow less, you know? But that is most definitely not true. Uh, Jesus is God's image in a far more wonderful way than simply a representation, even an accurate one. Uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Hebrews is, is, is tying in with what Paul's speaking here, saying when you see Jesus, it's not just a photo, right? It's more than that. Uh, one writer, one theologian says this, and this, this, this quote's a little bit, bit, bit dense, but hear what he's saying. The image of God does not suggest a likeness to God or a paradigm of his person. That's what we think initially, isn't it? But he says, no, no, no. Rather, it connotes a sharing in the divine life. Indeed, an objectivization of the essence of God so that the one who is by nature invisible comes to visible expression in the figure of his son. So in other words, when Jesus steps out of the patrol, 
and he walks towards us in flesh and blood, you don't just get, wow, that's kind of what God looks like. No, that is who God is. An image, but more than that, the, the, it's the actual person. It, it's, a, it's the essence of God. Uh, Kelvin, um, the theologian, once said, Christ shows us God's righteousness, God's goodness, God's wisdom, God's power. In short, he says, his entire self. So when you see Jesus, when you meet Jesus, you know God, you experience God, not as a reflection in a, in a mirror, but in essence and in reality and in truth. And this is what Jesus claimed about himself. Uh, John 14, 8 to 10. You know that, that scene where Jesus says he's leaving and they're troubled. And then Jesus says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I'm the way, the truth and the life. And then Philip says to him, Lord, Show us the Father. It's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Jesus says, You've seen him. You've seen God when you see me. Not a reflection or an image of God, but you've seen me. When it says the image of God, it's the stamp, the essence of who God is. Jesus, and that's one of the primary reasons that they killed him. That claim is blasphemous. 30 years old, Jesus. And you're the image of God. You are God. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's blasphemous. But it's such good news. Because if you think about this, if God is indeed God, right? God, to be any kind of real God, is extraordinarily powerful. And, and that's the reality. The Bible claims that, that and it's going to go on in the next verses to say that the whole world is created through Jesus, right? But the God who can create not only the vastness of this world, but the trillions and trillions of planets and galaxies that we're told exist in this universe is vast and powerful and alien in one sense. Holy. Holy just means separate, distinct. That's, that's who God is. And we, we say holy, holy, holy is the Lord and we speak about the, the God as creator, but I don't know if we always think about what that means and I certainly don't. But there are times when I do and I'll tell you one. Um, when I was uh, living in England, I, I went on a, um, a walking expedition into the Pyrenees Mountains on the border with Spain and France. And, and up on the top of one of those peaks, there, there's serious mountains up there. And on one of those nights, uh, we had a little hike, hiking tent up and a storm rolled in. But I, uh, this was like no storm I've seen before or since. On that mountain, we were exposed, the, the tent was flattened. And I was lying there with my ears ringing from the boom of the thunder and, and eyes blinded by the flash of lightning. It went on forever just waiting for that moment when the lightning would strike. It was absolutely petrifying. And that's just a tiny image of who God is. Just a tiny taste of his power. So, do, do you know, do you, why is it important to know God? Because, because power like this is not necessarily good, right? 
If God is that vast and that powerful, he is holy, 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 and the temple fills with smoke and all fall on their faces and cry, holy, is that a good thing? Well, it really depends on who the character of that person is, doesn't it? Because power, power can be, we know in our world today, power is so often abused, leading to abuse. Power is not safe, which is why when we see Jesus, like, yeah, we see the holiness. We see Peter go, oh, my Lord and my God. We see the, the people coming to rescue him fall back in fear when they sense who this Jesus is, God in essence, God himself. But the image of God, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, says that this is what God is like. And what's he like? Do you know there's only one point in the entire New Testament where Jesus says what the heart of God really is. Only one point. A wonderful book was written a couple of years ago about this, this particular verse. I'd never realized this. I said, yeah, God's the good shepherd. God, Jesus, you know, Jesus is all these things. There's only one place where Jesus says what his own heart is and what the heart of God is. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Listen. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen to this. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. This is what God is like. Yes, the extraordinary power. Holiness, alien otherness to us. Jesus says, gentle and lowly. You can find rest for your souls. God is not only incredible in power, he's incredible in goodness, in gentleness. You can, like the disciples in that, that last meal, you know, they, they speak about John resting his head back against the Lord Jesus as they reclined around that table. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, says that in the same way, we, re we can rest against God when the storms of life, when we feel tired, when we feel discouraged, when we feel weak. Jesus says, come to me. This is what God is. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. The famous poet Lord Byron once said, if God isn't like Jesus, he ought to be. Well, he is. He is. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. Jesus is created, or Jesus knows not created. He is the image of the invisible God. Secondly, there in, um, in verse 15, the other thing that is said of Jesus, and this has been a very controversial thing, actually, across history of the church. It says he is the first born of all creation. Now, I don't know about you, what do you think about when you see the firstborn of all creation? Well, it seems like it's saying that Paul is writing for Colossians and saying Jesus is the, the first thing that God created, right? The firstborn. That kind of seems like it. So Jesus is a created being. And, and throughout the history of the church, um, there's been groups like the Arians uh, in the first centuries of the church, more recently the Christadelphians and the Jehovah's Witnesses, who will say, yeah, Jesus is the image of God, kind of like a reflection in the water. You know, he's not God. 
He's a reflection of God and he's, he's created by God. He only exists because, because God casts the reflection. So he's a created being like you and I. And um, so he's no different from you and I in one sense, except he's kind of at the top of the chain or the, at the top of the pyramid. But this is absolutely not what Paul is saying here. And the context of the verse makes it impossible to believe this really because the very next verse says, through him, all things were created, right? So how can all things be created through Jesus and he be created? It doesn't work. But, but more than that, we know it, it comes from the context of primogenitor. Anyone heard of that? Primogenitor. All right. If you're a woman, you're, you're not participating in this. Sorry. Um, uh, who is the firstborn male here today? Put your hands up. I want to see you. I'm with you. There's not many of us. Is that all there is? Firstborn males. Stick your hand up and be proud, guys, because like, like you and like me, okay, hands down, you in the ancient world, you know what primogenitor meant? You're firstborn, so when it comes time for the inheritance to be distributed, there's no percentages, there's only one percentage and it's 100% going to you. What a beautiful thing. You know, like if you're a firstborn male, these were the happy days, weren't they? Uh, everything went to you, forget the younger brothers, you know, forget the sister, all to you, all of the property, primogenitor. That's how it worked in the ancient world. And because of the way that it worked, the, the term firstborn came to have a deeper and richer meaning, which stands alongside its biological meaning. So if you said, he's the firstborn, or you are the firstborn, what you are actually saying is, you've got the highest rank. You've got it all. You've got everything. You've got 100%. So um, some... 89 verse 27 is interesting in that way. Um, it's about David. Uh, was David the firstborn, King David? Do you know what he was? I had to look this up. I forgot. The tenthborn. <laughs> now, I don't know if there's any tenthborns here. Is there any tenthborn here? There might be. No, <laughs> could be. Uh, David is the tenthborn, but in Psalm 89, this is what God says to him. He says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. See, it's not having, it's not as if God is saying David's going to have his origins from the other kings of the earth. No, he's saying he's highest over them. So when it says Jesus is the image of God, the firstborn of all creation, it's simply saying Jesus is without parallel. He is the greatest. He is the firstborn of all things. He's supreme. And the point is, friends, as we, as we wind up this morning, as we begin this series on Colossians, as we think about 30 years ago, before this was written, the man hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying, the tradie in the backwater Judean town, coming to die in Jerusalem. And we think of that and we think of the claims that are here made, that this one, is the image of the invisible God, that this one is the firstborn of everything. It's extraordinary. And what it says to you and I as friends, we don't need an upgrade. You can't upgrade. Jesus is as good as it ever gets and Jesus is as good as it will ever be and Jesus is everything you need. Jesus is everything that you can ever desire. And if you are not experiencing those things, you don't need an upgrade, you just need more of what you already have. 
You need more of Jesus. And, and Lisa and others have said that as a church movement, we exist to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. It's about Jesus, right? And, and there are truths that, that it's not saying that we don't explore truths of eschatology or we don't practice the spiritual disciplines or, or we don't dive into to learn more about, about what it is to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what it is to be a, a disciple of this Jesus. Those are good things, right? But we don't upgrade. We must not upgrade. Paul writing these Colossians saying, if you upgrade, you will lose what you've claimed to possess. You, you'll lose the wonderful, extraordinary person, God, firstborn image, Jesus Christ. So if, Christian, if you're tempted any of those things, and I, I said, I, I still am. We're all tempted by the upgrade, aren't we? Don't do it. Don't do it, because as we're going to see, none of these upgrades can compare. All of them detract from who this Jesus is. But, but as, as I close as well, it, maybe there's someone here who you don't know Jesus yet. You're, you're investigating, or you're, maybe you're like I was before I was 17. I knew a lot about, grew up in a Christian family, so I knew a lot about the Bible and a lot about Jesus, and you know, Jesus is the answer to every Sunday school class, you know, those kind of things. But maybe, maybe you've never experienced who he really is as Lord. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. Think about what Jesus says about himself, gentle and lowly. Rest for your souls. The image of the invisible God. A head that you can read or a shoulder you can lean your head against. A friend that will be closer than a brother a God of extraordinary power brought close to us in flesh and blood in Jesus our Saviour. And if that's you, the door's wide open, isn't it? He's given the call, come to me when you're weak and heavy laden. Later on he says, no one who comes to me will I ever turn away. So I, I hope Sinon Hill East and, and Sinon Hill Geelong that, that we will continue to be all about Jesus that we will strive to know Jesus and make Jesus known, that we'll be protected from all of the distractions and upgrades, and this would be our heart more and more. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I'm going to pray for us, and I pray that God would make that a reality. Invite the band up, then we're going to sing, worship more of this Jesus. But let's pray. Father, we can't grasp the reality of what we've just heard read. Our minds cannot grasp that the extraordinary God who would send himself, would come, would send Jesus, his beloved son, into our world to hang on a cross. Lord, we cannot grasp what it was for the image of the invisible God to be Murdered. But Lord, we know that, that Jesus didn't stay there. He, he was raised to life. Death had no hold on him. And we thank you that uh, this Jesus who came from the tomb is alive. This Jesus who once hung on the cross is indeed the image, your image. God, the essence of God in flesh and blood walking among us. And we pray, Father, that if we have been tempted to upgrade, you'd forgive us. 
Lord, that You'd fix our eyes again this morning and in every day of our lives on who You are and who Jesus is. And we pray, Lord, that You would stir up our hearts if we've grown cold and bored with Jesus, that we'd see Him again. We'd know that He is everything we need and everything we will ever need. And so we pray, Lord, do it for us. Do it for our sakes, but do it because Jesus is worthy too. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.